Turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. The scripture reading this morning will be 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. You could stand with me if you would as we read God's Word together. There should be a black pew Bible in front of you if you don't have one with you. And you can find that on page uh, 1210. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Turn your Bibles back to 1 John. Finished up Exodus and took a few weeks talking about the church. Last week, Phil preached for me. So I was out of town. I'm so thankful for him. Preached Luke 15. Three parables. I'm so thankful to have men here in the church. I can go out of town and I've got four or five men that can jump up in the pulpit and handle the word correctly and I'm so thankful uh, for them. And we'll be doing that here. We're in First John. I've got several of these guys um, that are going to be preaching. Uh, Blake's going to be preaching next week and several more scheduled uh, as we mapped out First John. And it's wonderful to have men, and we can do that because the pastor, even though we, we um, respect the office of pastor, our authority is God's Word. So that's how we can have different men get up in the pulpit and teach the Word. It is our authority, and uh, we're thankful for uh, God raising up men and that can divide the Word. For us today, we're going to intro this book, kind of lay a, a, a foundation, and we're going to look at the first few verses, verses one through four, today. But we're going to look at First John, and then when we finish First John, we'll look at Second John and Third John. And these letters were written by John, the beloved disciple, one of the sons of Zebedee. Now, the author John never identifies himself by name. But Christians, since the beginning of the church, have considered this letter authoritative, believing that it was John the Apostle that wrote it, including his, one of his disciples, Polycarp. He was a second century pastor, and he knew John personally as a young man. And John tells us in verse 3 that he is an apostolic witness to the life and ministry of Jesus. And we're familiar with John. We have John's gospel, and it's interesting in John's gospel... The purpose of that, he tells us, John's very good about that, he tells us in chapter 20, verse 31, I've written these things that you may believe, and, and because you believe, you have life in the name of Christ. So the gospel of John is written to arouse faith so we can have faith. But here, 1 John, the epistle, is written so that we can know that we have faith helps us have assurance of faith. And so as we look at the book, what we're doing here is, is what we would normally do just in 
everyday Bible study. It's our default mode. We open up a book, uh, the Bible, we think about, okay, who wrote this? Well, John, the, the beloved apostle, wrote it. Who did he write it to? Well, John is, and when he penned this letter, was an older man. He was still actively ministering to churches in and around Ephesus, which was at that time called Asia Minor. And at this time, he was the, the lone apostolic witness to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. He was the last one standing, the last one left. The church fathers tell us that John had settled in Ephesus where he gave oversight to the churches and where he penned these letters. And so if, if he wrote it from Ephesus, most likely the destination of this letter, the recipients of the letter were in churches around Ephesus, maybe not in Ephesus, but around Ephesus. One of those, most assuredly, is the, the church in Colossae because the same type of heresy that John is going to oppose in this letter, Paul opposes a few years earlier in his letter to the Colossians. So John's writing it to a group of uh, churches in and around Ephesus. Why is it written? What's the purpose? Again, doing this is our default mode. When we open up the scriptures, this is what we do every day. Why was the book written? Well, there's several purposes mentioned. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. Let's read those together. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that, that's a purpose clause, right? So what? Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And look at verse 4. And we are writing these things so that, again, there's the purpose clause, so that our joy may be complete. And look at chapter 2, verse 1. I am writing these things to you so that, there it is again, the purpose clause, so that you may not sin. Look at chapter 2, verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So there was, um, as predicted by the Apostle Paul, if you go back and read Acts chapter 20, as he's saying his farewell to the elders in Ephesus, he tells them that false teachers will arise even for within the church. So John is combating the false teaching that, that was um, in that area. Look at chapter 5, verse 13. Again, what's the purpose in him writing this? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, some of you, you knew where we were going and you've read through this. I've talked to several this morning. Yeah, I've, I've already read through 1 John several times. Well, I want to encourage you, church, to do that in the next few weeks. Just read through it. Read through it multiple times, and you'll see some of these things. The things that I mentioned today, you'll see. But, oh, yeah, I, 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 I see why he said that. You'll understand a lot about the book. But despite these verses that we just read, what is the purpose of the book? There's no one purpose. Maybe we can take the context, right, that, that false teachers had left the church. They're harassing and enticing the church. We put that together with the word fellowship we'll see in the, the verses we read today. The word know, the word know is, is going to be mentioned 46 times in this short letter. And you put all that together, and this is what I've kind of come up with. Fellowship and assurance of salvation in the midst of opposition. It's kind of like the, the theme of the book. And that's my final answer. Okay. Assurance, a fellowship, and assurance of salvation in the midst of opposition. So he wants 
the believers there. He wants to encourage them, but he wants them to have assurance that they know the Lord, that they have eternal life, that they have fellowship with God. And what we're going to see in this book, there's three tests that John gives us throughout this letter. One's a theological test. Do we have the right belief in Jesus? Do we believe what the Bible says, what the apostles said about Christ? Who is Jesus? That's really, really important. The second test is the commandment test. Referring to right obedience to God's commands. Is your life, is my life, steered by God's commands? And, and thirdly, the love or companion test. Dealing with the right love for one another. Do you love your brothers and sisters in the church? And so these questions, these themes... These tests, they're going to provide avenues of assurance whereby you and I can know that we are Christians, that we are truly born again, that we know the Lord, we have a relationship with Him, that we have fellowship with Him. So the Gospel of John, written so they may have eternal life, First John written so that we may know that we have eternal life. Okay, And this, this epistle, again, is dealing with this heresy that Paul confronted in the letter to the Colossians. It's called Gnosticism. And there's varying degrees of that. It looks a little different in, in, in different places. But Gnosticism taught that salvation comes through knowledge. There's a certain select few that had a that had a secret knowledge, a mysterious knowledge. It's very mysterious. Uh, mystic. You had this knowledge that other people didn't have. And once you received this knowledge, you became the religious elite that set you apart from everyone else. Salvation comes through knowledge. Hence the reason why John is going to mention knowledge time and time again in this letter. And also, the, the Gnostics thought that everything physical was evil. So they would say that Jesus, no, Jesus of Nazareth could not be God because God would not inhabit a physical body. So Jesus wasn't God. He didn't die and make atonement for sin. And for us, that's a problem, isn't it? That's a problem. This teaching, this false teaching is, is, is dangerous. And what it led to was two different extremes. One was asceticism. Asceticism is, is your flesh fasting. You're denying your flesh, denying your physical body because it was evil. And then the, the opposite extreme that we have in Gnosticism is this flesh feeding, it's sensuality. Well, it's, it's, the flesh is evil and wicked anyway. It doesn't really matter what I do. Salvation doesn't come through Christ who died for us on a cross, but it comes through knowledge. So that was a problem, and that's what he's going to be, John's going to be addressing in this letter. We'll talk more about that as we as we move along. We'll, we'll talk about it next week for sure. But John is writing to the believers. He's wanting to strengthen their faith. He's warn them about these false teachers, and he's going to do that by bringing up this same... Uh, Ideas, these same thoughts, these three tests over and over again. So it's hard to kind of pinpoint an outline. 
We're going to see these same things coming up over and over again. And he's going to also use contrast, just like he did in the Gospel of John. He's going to teach us by way of contrast. We're going to see light versus darkness, the Father versus the world, Christ versus the Antichrist, good works versus evil, the Holy Spirit versus error, love versus pretense, the God-born and the other-born. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Kind of lay the groundwork. There's a lot of information. We're going to come back and give that to you later if you're trying to write notes. And I would encourage you, bring a notebook. We're going to be in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Bring a notebook. If you go in my office, you'll see there's notebooks. All I've got a, a, a shelf that's full of notebooks. And on the front of it, you'll see different books of the Bible. This is where when I was... Uh, when I was in church before I was pastoring, my pastor would teach, and that's what I would do. I would take notes because guess what? For the rest of my life, I'm a Christian. I'm going to be studying the Bible, and I'm going to be teaching the Bible. And that's the same for you, even though you, you're not a pastor, but you're still a Christian, right? If you're a Christian, you're going to be teaching the Bible. So take notes. This may not be um, something you've ever heard before, but it might be said in a way that you think, oh, that's helpful. And next time you study, you can go back and read. Or next time you're going to teach this, you're discipling somebody, you can go back and use these notes to help you as well. So I'd encourage you to get a notebook. And, um, and we're going to be talking about these introductory comments, the context. We'll be talking about that again every week. So John, he, he begins the, the letter, chapter 1, verse 1. He doesn't start with an, an open uh, salutation. His letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Hebrews are the lone exceptions. All other New Testament books start with this salutation, who wrote it, who's writing it to. But what he does, he doesn't beat around the bush. He jumps straight into um, this problem of Gnosticism and who is Christ. He, sets, he wants to set the record straight as what is Christianity and who is Jesus. Right out of the gate, he's opposing this false teaching. So the first point today from our text, Christianity is Jesus Christ, revealed, experienced, and proclaimed with joy. One pastor, about speaking about these few verses here, he says, Christianity is not essentially a system of thought. Rather, it is a person, Jesus Christ, who was historically validated, personally experienced, and authoritatively proclaimed by the apostles, in particular, John, the beloved apostle. So John begins this letter much like he does his gospel. If you remember John chapter 1, verse 1, do you remember how it begins? Yeah, he, he, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And we see that very similarly here. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the Word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So John, he jumps right in, emphasizes the eternality of Christ in the beginning. What's he doing? He's pointing out that Jesus is God. You want to know God? Know Jesus. You want to see God? Look to Jesus. The noun object that has been witnessed is none other than Christ himself, who is from the beginning. He has always been. It's interesting you read through that. How many times does John going to tell us that he saw Jesus? I saw him. 
I saw them. I touched them. I heard them. I saw them. These false teachers in Asia Minor would say that Jesus wasn't God because he's physical. Physical things are sinful, so God couldn't be a man. They had this mystical knowledge these, these religious elite had. But John says, no, I have knowledge. I have knowledge of the one true God who took on flesh, who dwelt among us for a time to reveal God to us and make atonement for us. Think about this. Eyewitnesses are really, really important. Court of law, an eyewitness is the greatest witness. And John says, I'm an eyewitness to Jesus' greatness, to his deity. Think about in a court. You have a court case. An eyewitness gives credibility to the prosecution or to the defense. And the other will try to cause the jury, the judge, to have doubts about the credibility of the witness. John says, hey, you can believe me. I was with them. I saw them. I touched them. I heard them. Lawyers will try to create doubt in a jury's mind. Well, it was dark. How could you be sure that what you're saying is what you actually saw? Or did you really see his face? Maybe it just looked like the accused. John says, that which we have heard. John was taught by Jesus. Think about his three years he spent with Christ. He heard Jesus on the mount. Seek first, Jesus says, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, John heard Jesus say to the waves, to the storm, peace, be still. John actually heard Jesus say, Lazarus, come out. John heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. John says, that which I, we have heard, we proclaim to you. He says, that which we, that which we have seen with our eyes. John and the other disciples, they saw Jesus walk on water. Incredible thing to see, wouldn't it, Ben? John saw Jesus on the cross as he suffered, though, and he breathed his last. John saw Jesus with his own eyes, not as a mystical vision, but he saw him living reality. It was more than a, a passing glimpse, Bryce. It was a consistent daily revelation, day in and day out, seeing the Lord Jesus. He says, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. They touched him physically. I mean, they touched him. How do we know? How do we know Chase is real? Yeah, I'm touching him there, right? Yeah, I've touched him. He touched Jesus before he died, and guess what? He touched him after. He touched the resurrected Jesus. I want to point that out to you. If you remember the story of Thomas, doubting Thomas, when Jesus first appeared to his disciples, doubting Thomas wasn't there. So they 
report that the risen Christ had actually appeared to him. And what did Thomas say? Do you remember? What did he say? John chapter 20, verse 25 through 28. He says, Unless I see his hands, the mark of his nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I would never believe. Verse 26 of John chapter 20. Eight days later, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them this time. Eight days later, Thomas is with them this time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, it's kind of interesting, pointing out Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And what was Thomas's response? Do you remember? My Lord and my God. What did he do? Touched the, he touched the risen Savior. Again, on the Emmaus Road, do you remember Jesus appeared to the two disciples walking on the road? What did they do? They, those two went back and reported to the 11 disciples what had occurred in, in Luke chapter 24, verse 36 through 39. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled, they were frightened, and they saw and, they, and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, see my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me, touch me, and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. You know, no, it's me. Me. Touch me. Yeah, right? It's me in the flesh. John says, yeah, I've, I've seen him. I've heard him. This was no spirit being disguised in a temporary human suit of clothes. No, it was he who was from the beginning and whom John heard and saw and physically touched. He's the word of life. And notice he says twice it was made manifest. Verse 2, the life was made manifest. And we have seen it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest. That phrase is used twice. And it says, He is the word of life. He is eternal life. And that life is made manifest. And the, the false teachers, think about it. They stress knowledge. Oh, you have this mystical knowledge. It makes you something. It gives you, makes you a spiritual elite. It makes you one of the Gifted ones. Well, it's true as Christians, we have to have knowledge, right? We have to have knowledge of the truth. You have knowledge about a lot of things. You can have supposed experiences about a lot of things. We have to have knowledge of the truth. Then and only then do we have life. We need to have the truth of who the Son is. We have to have it revealed to us. Stephen Cole, he says, Christianity is an experience rooted in revelation and realized in relationship. And that relationship is with God and with one another. You remember in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells that the Gentile believers, there he's writing to the Gentile believers, he says, you used to be dead in your sin, but then he says in Ephesians chapter 2, 
verse 4 and 5, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with, with Christ. By grace you have been saved. How are they made alive? Through the knowledge of the gospel. They're hearing the knowledge, the truth about Christ, and they could be saved. Christianity is Jesus Christ revealed. All of us are believers. We've had it revealed. God, through the Holy Spirit, has opened up our eyes, opened up our ears, that we understand the truth. If I ask you, Christian, who is Christ, you would say, He is my Savior. He is the Lord. He's the great I Am. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the one who took on flesh. He is the exact representation of the Father. He is the Word. He's the one who was crucified. He was the Passover lamb who made propitiation for our sin once and for all. He's the one who was dead but now is alive. How do you know that? Chris, how do you know that? Because the Spirit opened up your eyes, opened up your ears. And then you just figured out, read it one day, and I, no, the Spirit does that work. It's revealed. The Gnostics say, oh, I've got this revealed special knowledge, mystical knowledge. Well, we Christians have knowledge too revealed to us through the power of the Holy Spirit as we hear truth about Christ. Every one of us, that's one thing we have in common. If you're a believer, Andrew, you've heard the gospel. And God use that gospel truth, open up your eyes, ears, regenerate your heart, give you new life in Christ. Christianity is Jesus Christ revealed and experienced. Second thing we see in our text, starting in verse 3, is that our relationship, fellowship, is restored by Jesus. What John had heard and seen and looked upon and touched he must share with others. And so what he's doing, he's proclaiming, he's testifying to those in Asia Minor so that, that's the first purpose, purpose clause there, so that they may have fellowship with them, but also with God. Now think about it. This letter is written to Christians. They already have a relationship with God. They already have a relationship with God. They have a they have fellowship, he says, with one another and with God because of the relationship established, because of the work of Christ on the cross, because of the regeneration of their hearts that took place from them knowing the true knowledge of who Christ is. It's interesting here that God doesn't use the word salvation. Instead, he used the word fellowship. John says that through the gospel, we have fellowship with God and with one another. One commentator calls this the fellowship family. We're united, aren't we? We have fellowship with one another. And, and not just in our church. Some of you visiting, there's some visiting here, they're trying to figure out where the God wants them. They're trying to plant roots, trying to find a church family. And they're going to do that. The Lord's going to help them. They're going to find a church family. They're going to lock arms with somebody, with a church, with a group of people. They're going to start living life hand in hand, arm in arm together. They have fellowship, right? Just like we do. We are gone last week. Loved being with Dave and Rivers. Man, we're just so glad to be home. All our students, they just want to be home. We just love being at church because we love one another. We're living life together, sharing life together. 
It's called fellowship, right? Something we have in common. We're sharing life. But we don't just share life with one another. We share life with the church. Universal, right? It's amazing. I've shared this many times overseas, living in a different culture, speaking a different language, and you grow to love these people. It doesn't matter that they, their skin's not the same color. They don't have the same culture. They don't speak the same language. There's just a love. There's a fellowship. You share something in common. But fellowship and relationship is different. Fellowship flows out of the relationship. See, these, these are Christians. They already have a relationship with the Father through Christ. But as a result of that relationship, there's a sweet fellowship. They share life together. They share a common goal, a common purpose, a common forgiveness, a common, a common love. When Jesus becomes our Savior, God becomes our Father. We share that in common. Think about this. Our fellowship and relationship are, are somewhat different here. You're, those of you that are married, you have that relationship. Yeah, you're married. You'll be married till you, one of you dies. But fellowship, even though you have that relationship, fellowship kind of ebbs and flows sometimes, doesn't it? There's sometimes, as a husband and wife, your husband, you're loving your wife like Christ loved the church. You're growing in that, and your wife is responding in submission, and there's this sweet intimacy, and then you're together, and your intimate times are sweet, and it's just sweet, but then there's times where she says, I put your pillow and a sheet on the couch, and that's where you'll be. Or you get the cold shoulder deal. You know, if you've been married any amount of time. It's Morgan, it's coming. It's going to happen. <laughs> Morgan and Kayla just got married a couple weeks ago, so uh, it's coming. It's, it's natural, normal part of the sanctification process, right? But yeah, your fellowship is, is yeah, you know, it ebbs and flows. There's times where you're more intimate than others. You're closer than others, right? But you still have that relationship, and that's the way it is with the Lord. If you've repented, right, have a true knowledge of Christ and who He is, you submitted to His authority, understanding that He is Lord, He is the Messiah, He is the one who came to make atonement for sin. I yield to Him by repenting and trusting, turning from sin and trusting what He did on the cross for me. Trusting what he did in the resurrection, it's what's for me. We have a relationship right, with God. And because of that, we have fellowship. And then we not, not only have fellowship with God, we have fellowship with one another. We have to understand that too about evangelism. Evangelism, we share the gospel. We want people to be saved. Why do we share the gospel? We want them to be saved, yes. But we want them to be saved and be a part of the church. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. When we talk about the church, the goal is to, to win people and for them to be perfect in Christ. That doesn't happen apart from the church. Fellowship flows out of relationship. Those who think biblically share a common theology, a common Savior, a common Father, a common 
mission, a common experience. To be in fellowship is to share your life with someone. John has proclaimed what he's seen, what he's heard, so that these recipients of this letter may have fellowship with them and, in, and, and also fellowship with the Father. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. John Wesley, he says, I want the whole Christ for my Savior, the whole Bible for my book, the whole church for my fellowship, and the whole world for my mission field. See, John Wesley understood. He knew who Christ was. And that knowledge of Christ that changed his life. And he not only had a relationship with God, he had fellowship with him, and he wanted fellowship with the church. Lastly, joy is the evidence that a person is in relationship and in fellowship with his heavenly Father. Look at verse 4. And we are writing these things so that, again, their purpose clause, our joy may be complete. Christianity is a, is a faith, a religion, which we have truth revealed to us. But once it's revealed to us, we want to share that with others, don't we? You don't want to keep it to yourself. You want to share it with others. We want others to experience the grace we have. Think about this, this Gnosticism and, and the result of this, this way of thinking. They're, they're thinking, well, we've got this higher knowledge, this mystic knowledge that's caused us to be the religious elite, and we have it and other people's don't. What, what, what results? The result is this puffed up thing. Yeah, we're, we're, it causes elitism, right? Yeah, we're better than you. That's not the case with Christianity. Chris, you're a Christian. You've had this knowledge revealed to you. Why? Yeah, yeah. It's not because you're good. See, the, the Gnostic. I, I must have this. I must have this. Uh, I must have intelligence. I must want it more. I must something about me resulted in me having this higher knowledge that makes me better than everyone else. The opposite is true in Christianity, right? We have this knowledge of the truth revealed to us. Our spiritual eyes, spiritual ears are open because of grace. And we understand that. What's the difference between us and the lost person at work? Grace. What's the difference between myself and my uh, lost family member? Grace. What's the difference between myself and the person who's never heard the gospel who's going to die in their sin and spend eternity in hell? Grace. And so when we have the knowledge of Christ revealed to us, it causes us not boasting and pride. It calls great humility. Why have you chosen to reveal this to me? Why have you elected me and chosen me? Why have you granted me faith and repentance and not these other people? Grace. So it calls us to be humble. And then what does that cause us to want to do? I want to share this truth with other people so other people can experience this as well. No, they don't deserve it, but I don't deserve it either. Enjoy, we share what we know with others so they can experience relationship, fellowship, and in turn experience real joy. Again, those who think biblically share a common theology, a common Savior, a common mission, a common experience, and a common joy.
and John. This is the same apostle that wrote the Gospel of John. John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is Jesus' words. John 16, 21. Jesus says, Until now you have asked me, ask nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. We have a, a fullness of joy as we share this common knowledge, common experience, this common shared life, fellowship with one another. There is joy in it. Isn't it amazing? The joy we have in Christ and we share with one another is something we have in common, something we can share, and it's wonderful. We want other people to experience it just like we do. Psalm 16, verse 11. You'll make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence there is fullness of joy. We have knowledge of who God is. He's the creator. He's the provider, sustainer. He's the giver of life. He died on the cross. He rose on the third day so that me, this wretched sinner, could know Him. All I have to do is repent, turn from my trying to earn it, trying to live for myself, repent, turn from that way of life, and trust what Christ did on the cross as my own. And what happens? I have relationship, I have fellowship, not just with the Lord, but with the church. And there is joy, there is joy, there is joy in it. The false teachers were saying, if you want joy, you have to have this secret knowledge. But John is teaching them that joy is found in mutual fellowship with God through faith in Christ and with one another. So what do we do with this text? Just by way of introduction, introducing this book, we'll be building on this as we continue. By way of application, the question is, do you have joy? Well, you know, life's hard, man. We've had tough experiences. I've been divorced. My kids are crazy. I don't have money. Blah, blah, blah. We, are, we understand. It's real, real life. You may say, well, man, how can I have joy in that? No, you can have joy in that. That's the promise. That's the guarantee. You can have joy amidst your terrible life if you're in Christ. Because the fellowship you have with the Father, the fellowship you have with one another. Yeah, there's joy in it. Do you have joy? You say, well, I don't have joy. Well, you maybe, do you know the Lord? Do you have joy? Second question, by way of application, do you have fellowship with God through Jesus, His Son? fellowship with the Lord. I'm not sure I know what that means. Maybe you don't, you don't know because you don't have it. Bo, do you have fellowship with the Lord? Yeah, I have fellowship with the Lord. I remain in Christ. I abide in Him. I have fellowship with Him. You say, but I don't have fellowship with God. You can't have fellowship with the church. And I, I think what happens 
We're trying so desperately in our church. You know, church membership here, it's kind of hard to be a part of the church. Somebody's like, man, it's kind of hard to be a church member. Well, we want to make sure that you're a believer and you want to be here. You understand? And we have a common covenant, a common creed, and we're committing ourselves to live life together. Because that's what the church does. You read the New Testament. Yes, it's a group of believers that live life together. Just kind of like just arm in arm, hand in hand, just kind of walking, living life together. That's the picture you see in the New Testament. In our church, we have about 100 members of our church, people who said, yeah, I want to live life together. And we have another about another 100 that we minister to on probably a bi-weekly basis who are affiliated with the church. If you ask them, hey, where do you go to church? They say, Beaver Baptist. But they're not actually officially a part of the church. And that's okay. If you die, we're going to bury you. If you want to get married, we might marry you. This depends. We'll love you. Treat you like you're our own, right? But what we're wanting to do is get more and more people that are on the kind of the periphery involved in the, the day and day living life, hand in hand, arm in arm, living life together. And some people are just visiting our church. They're just trying to figure out where they need to be. And we're just praying. We're praying for those folks. We're praying for you if that's you. God would direct your steps where you need to be. But you need to get somewhere eventually and settle down and say, this is my family. This is where I'm going to minister. I want these people to speak into my life. And I want them to speak in my life. I want them to speak in my kids' lives. And I want to speak in their kids' lives. I want us to go the distance together. And I, there's, there's people trying to figure that out. I get it. But I think there's, there's a lot of folks on the periphery that coming in week in and week out, maybe they don't want to lock arms because they're not in fellowship. They can't be in fellowship with the church because they're not in fellowship with God. They don't know them. They've yet to repent and believe, maybe. I think that's probably true. But what we're doing, we're praying that more and more people that are on the periphery will become part of the family because it's good and it's sweet. Let me tell you about it. We're in, we're in Kansas City, right? And we're doing our thing. We're working hard and serving this church and loving on these people. And we love those people. Dave and Rivers are like family to us. We just love them. Chris Wilkes, he's got an appointment. He could have been any other time. He could have been in Overland Park, Kansas. How many times have you been in Overland Park before this week? He'd never been there, right? Guess what? He had an appointment, a sales call in Overland Park. Coincidence, huh? No. He made an appointment. Because why? He wanted to be there with us. We went to Dave and Rivers to pick up some. We had to wash our shirts every day, so we'd go there and wash shirts and bring them back, and we're there. And um, I called I call somebody to ask a question. I said, hey, Blake's here. I said, what? They said, Blake's here. I said, really? So we get there. Blake Shankel, guess what? He's in Missouri somewhere. He's not in Kansas City. But he's like, I had some hours. I wasn't going to be doing anything, so what do you do? He shows up. In Kansas City, spent the afternoon with us. Why? Because these guys love the church. They want to be with the church. What's the church? I want to be a part of it. Why? Because they have fellowship. It's sweet. Oh, it's sweet. It's sweet. We got 28 of us went there, and 28 of us couldn't wait to be back just to be in church together, right? There are a lot of them getting ready to go into camp, but next week they'll be back here because they want to be, because it's sweet. It's fellowship. But it only happens if you have fellowship with the Lord, if you have a relationship with the Lord. And it's a sweet thing because we have a common purpose and shared life and shared love and shared purpose. Oh, it's just so good. And that's what John's writing about. Writing to this church, encouraging them. The things I've seen, I've seen Jesus. I've touched Him. I've heard Him. 
I want you to know about it. I want you to have the knowledge of Jesus. This is true knowledge. I've touched them. I've heard them. By way of application, how do we hear Christ? How do we hear? How do we hear Him? It's through His Word, right? John, he's the, the last living apostle. Could you imagine what it was like to be in Polycarp sitting under here Blake? <laughs> Tell me, right? What did he do? What did he say? You know? Could you imagine all the questions he asked? Just like, wouldn't it have been amazing to know somebody who had actually sit at Jesus' feet for three years? Not all that. John was his favorite. They were reclining at the Last Supper. I don't, you know, they lay down kind of and, and eat. Anybody ever in Korea? They kind of do that in Korea. <laughs> lay down, eat. Yeah, he laid his head on the breast of Jesus. He was the, the beloved disciple. He was one of his favorite. He's the last of the apostles. He's saying, hey, this is what I've seen. This is what I've heard. I'm making it known to you. No. We're going to learn more about it next week. Read through 1 John. Read through it several times. We're going to pick up there. Blake's going to be preaching next week, picking up in verse 5. Every week we're talking more about the context. So if you didn't get it, you're like, ah, oh, I didn't get notes. Or you can always email. I'll send you my manuscript if that'll make it easier for you. We're going to walk through this at church, First John. I'm excited about it. It's going to be good. Talking about assurance of salvation. We have, we have, I've been talking to some of us, and some of us, are they're not sure. Like, ah, I've repented, I believe. I've repented, but I'm just not sure. Well, this is going to help us. Glad you're here. we got a lot of people. It's summer. It's summer. People are in and out. we got people at the lake, people here and there and yonder. It's just what it is in the summer. So it is what it is, right? We just be together. When you're, when you're in town, be here. When you're out of town, watch us. There's a lot of people watching us right now. Some folks are out of town, so they're watching us. Facebook Live, keeping up so they don't fall behind. It's raining. Isn't that great? Yeah, I'm glad it's raining. We need the rain. We need the rain. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. Come back. If you've got a, a question about our church, we'd love to answer a question about our church. We've got a gr sweet group of people here. We're a bunch of sinful folk. But we're living life together trying to be like Jesus, and we want to be Jesus' hands and feet in our community. If you've got questions about that, ask us. We'd love to tell you more about it. Wednesday night, last Wednesday night Bible study uh, for the summer. We'll, uh, students will be at camp, but we'll be here. We'll, um, we'll meet and have Bible study prayer time. We'll have time together on Wednesday night. Anything else? Any announcements we need to mention before we dismiss? Okay. Let's pray. Somebody pray for us and ask the Lord to help us remain in the Lord, be in fellowship with Him. And if you're, if you're here and you don't have joy, you don't have a, a fellowship with God because you don't have a relationship with Him, we'd love to talk to you about that. You say, well, man, you didn't, you didn't give an invitation. All these Baptist churches give an invitation. No, the invitation is given. The invitation is, if you've yet to repent and trust Christ, repent and trust Christ. That's your invitation. I'll be the last one here. I'm always the last one here. I'd love to talk to you. Like I'm not sure if I'm a believer or not. I think I've repented, but I'd like to talk to you about that. I'd love to stay and talk to you. Okay, I'll be here. And there's a lot of other people that can do that as well. Somebody pray us out of here. Ask the Lord to bless us. And when we're done praying, if you've got children in children's church, go get them before we talk. Who wants to pray for us? All right, John, pray.